0: In the 1870s, at 305 Argentine Street in Georgetown, Colorado, there sat a big white house. It was lavish, to say the least, intricate woodwork and windows and central heating. It even had a glass conservatory full of plants. That might not sound like much, but heating a room like that in the often freezing mountains of Colorado was in itself a public statement of status and wealth. And remarkably, all this still stands today. Alongside the house is outbuildings, a carriage house, a granite office building, a summer kitchen and laundry building, and perhaps most remarkable of all, a six-seater privy. That's an outhouse, an outdoor toilet to you and me. Even for the wealthy, plumbing in the 1870s wasn't quite what it is now, But if you had to answer nature's call outside, then a six-seater outhouse would do the trick. Solid oak seats, too. But the man who lived here began his life a long way from solid oak outhouses, indeed a long way from Colorado, about 4,500 miles away in Liverpool, England, as the crow flies. There's another story, too, though, that starts only 200 or so miles north of Liverpool in Perth, Scotland. There, a different man, a 52-year-old fisherman, bang in the middle of the 1800s, was about to make a long journey of his own to somewhere that a long time ago seemed like a galaxy far, far away. Missouri, USA, via Indiana. So what or who links these two men? A common descendant... Who else but young adventurer Luke Skywalker? Tony Robinson I am, and to it's about time, you are welcome. Do not. There is no try. Words to live your life by, if ever there were any. These are the words of Jedi Master Yoda, spoken to an impatient and petulant young Padawan from the remote planet of Tatooine, whose adventures have made him and the Star Wars movie series iconic since the release of the first picture in 1977. I do, of course, speak of Luke Skywalker. Don't worry, no knowledge of Star Wars is required for this episode of It's About Time. The last thing I'm going to do is pretend to be a Star Wars expert. This podcast goes out on the internet, which is about the last place you'd want to accidentally try to out-Star Wars any Star Wars fans. (laughs) Here's the only thing you need to know. If actor Mark Hamill needed any inspiration for his role as the adventurous Luke Skywalker, he didn't have to look any further than his own ancestors. Before ever visiting planets like Dagobah, B-Spin or Hoth as Skywalker in the 1970s and 1980s, Hamill was born in Oakland, California in 1951. But he hardly had an adventurous childhood himself, moving around the US and as far as Japan with his family, as his father was a captain in the US Navy. Adventures across oceans run in the family. Hamill's great-great-great-grandfather was born in Kilclavan, Perthshire, Scotland, in 1792. Luke Skywalker said of his home planet of Tatooine... If there's a bright centre to the universe, you're on the planet that it's furthest from. Perthshire isn't the desolate hunk of sand and rock that Tatooine is. If you ever get a chance to even just drive around Perthshire, do it. It's a beautiful place, from the mountains of the Southern Highlands to its deep river valleys. But even now, let alone in 1792, the centre of the universe it is not. And that's where James Haggart was from. He was listed in the 1841 Scottish census as a fisher. That was when he was 42, not quite the young man who leaves Tatooine to become a Jedi. James had married locally. Well, a Perthshire girl from 20 miles up the road. Charlotte Robertson became Charlotte Haggard on the 26th of November 1826, when she and James tied the knot in Kinclaven. By 1846, they had eight children, six boys and two girls. It was then, and only then, that they set off for their mammoth journey across the Atlantic. James was in fact 52 years old when he and his family finally emigrated, setting a course For America. When we think of the movement of people in those times, we often think of younger people venturing off to find their fortunes. Perhaps that's the idealistic way to think of it. Indeed, as I mentioned in a previous episode about Charlie Chaplin's film The Immigrant, it wasn't a particularly pleasant trip. It was a riskier journey for older people and big families than it may have been for the young and healthy, with conditions on board a lot of immigrant ships no less than horrendous. Filth, disease and hunger abounded, and age made it even harder to get through the ordeal. But do or do not, there is no try. And brave the journey James did, with his family in tow, wife Charlotte and all of the children. So even though significantly older than his great-great-great-grandson Mark Hamill's character Skywalker, James Haggart too left his homeland and everything that he knew to ride on a ship for the chance to find his destiny. And he and his family made it all the way to New York, a journey made by so many at the time before settling in Indiana. (laughs) We can see a household full of Haggarts in the 1850 United States federal census, after they completed their journey across what probably felt like a galaxy in the 1800s. But James Haggart's life, once he arrived in the Promised Land, didn't lead him to a huge house or various outbuildings or a luxurious privy. The Haggart family lived a humble life in Scotland, then Indiana, then Missouri. Not rich, they were now a simple farming family, but that was their American dream. A marble memorial stone still stands in Mount Olivet Cemetery in Hannibal, Missouri, commemorating not just James, who died there at the age of 63, but also his wife Charlotte and three of their sons. But in another branch of the family tree, one of Mark Hamill's other ancestors did make an incredible journey to do something pretty bold. That was William Arthur Hamill. The force helped him to sit on a throne in Colorado. Or at least on an oak-rimmed seat with a hole in it in one of the most lavish outhouses in the state. That's coming up on It's About Time after this short break.
1: It's About Time is sponsored by Ancestry. Discover your family history within the billions of records on the Ancestry website and take the Ancestry DNA test to learn more about who you are today with details like your ethnic makeup and relatives you never knew existed. Listeners of this podcast can enjoy free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. Just visit www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA. That's www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA for free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. So you can start your Ancestry DNA journey today. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid until the 24th of November, 2016. Driving west
0: along Interstate 70 from Denver, Georgetown Lake will eventually greet you on the left. After the lake, exit 228 brings you into what was once the centre of Colorado's mining industry in the late 1800s. If you take a left onto 15th Street, you'll go under the bridge and the first exit on the roundabout will bring you down towards the south side of town. After a left onto 6th Street at the T-junction and then the next right, You'll be on Argentine Street, where you'll find on the right the palace of a man who died on the 3rd of February 1904. The next day, the Colorado Springs Gazette reported on his death. The article read William A. Hamill, a pioneer mining man and for years a prominent leader in state politics, died at St. Joseph's Hospital. Mr Hamill had suffered for two years, ever since he underwent an operation for gallstones from which he never fully recovered. About the first of the year, blood poisoning developed and ever since, he has been unable to leave his bed. Some time ago, his physician despaired of his recovery and his death was not unexpected. Yet the news will shock many thousands of friends to whom Mr Hamill had endeared himself by his kindness and geniality. He was one of the best-known men in the state, noted for his benevolence and generosity, an expert mining man and noted political leader. William A. For Arthur Hamel was Mark Hamel's great-great-grandfather, and he wasn't originally from Colorado, though most people who prospered there weren't either. He was actually born in Liverpool, in the northwest of England. How William went from relative anonymity in Liverpool to being eulogised as one of the best-known men in the state of Colorado is quite a journey. But Liverpool was the start of journeys for many. In the hundred years between 1830 and 1930, it's estimated that over nine million people set off for North America or Australia from Liverpool. Not just Brits, but the Irish and other Europeans too. In terms of departures across the Atlantic, it was Europe's busiest port. One of those to depart was William. But unlike James Haggart, William didn't go with a family of his own, rather leaving for America in his youth. And while the legend of William Arthur Hamill doesn't quite tell us how he got there, we can find him again in the 1860 United States Federal Census. Amazing what a bit of digging can churn up. According to the census forms, we can see that the boy done good. By 1860, at the age of 25, he'd made his way to Philadelphia. And what of his life there? Well, he'd married Priscilla, named McKee, who'd been born in the state of Georgia. They had a little daughter, also Priscilla, who was recorded as only eight months old at the time of the census, listed as born in Pennsylvania, presumably Philadelphia. But that's not all. Williams listed as a shipping merchant, and the value of his personal estate? A nice little sum of $25,000. Not a bad amount of money now, and definitely a healthy sum for a young man of 25 in 1860. But there was more wheeling and dealing to be done, which maybe makes William more of a travelling entrepreneur in the mould of Luke Skywalker's friend Han Solo than a Jedi, and that's what brought him that big white house in Georgetown, Colorado. The American Civil War would break out in 1862, but after a stint in the Union Army, an entrepreneur like William could see a lot of potential out in the Rocky Mountains. And so his shipping interests became mining interests, and a small house became a big house where a museum operates today. William bought it from his brother-in-law in 1874. And with the help of Colorado's first architect, Robert Rerschlub, made it into a palace with all the extras, the carriage house, William's office, and, of course, that six-seater oak-seated privy, the magnificent outhouse with one door for the family and their four seats and another door for the staff with their two. That was a throne fit for one of the best-known men in the state, noted for his benevolence and generosity, an expert mining man and noted political leader. But was that the full tale? I guess it depends how you feel about buying and selling mines. It said that William Hamill became the Colorado silver magnate that he did through slightly shady commercial practices, tying up owners of other mines in legal disputes until they were forced to sell up. And that was how William made his real fortune. That was how he hit the top of the mountain, some quite real mountains in the Rockies. That was the launchpad for his becoming so influential socially, economically and politically in Colorado. It helped him become the Railroad Commissioner, Chairman of the local Republican Committee and even a delegate to Republican National Conventions. Yet it's hard for even the wiliest of business people to dodge a silver bullet. And that's what happened with the Silver Crash of 1893. The silver boom had led to silver oversupply and artificial price stabilisation by the government. When President Grover Cleveland repealed the Sherman Silver Purchase Act, which had for the previous few years required the government to buy 4.5 million ounces of silver a month, that price stabilisation was destabilised. So that was the end of the empire for English-born Colorado silver magnate William Hamill. Of course, the economic silver bullet of the crash didn't kill William. Blood poisoning did that in 1904, as the Colorado Springs Gazette reported. But by the time of his death, most of his former glory had passed. He moved to Denver. Priscilla stayed in Georgetown with the children. Priscilla passed away in 1910, and within a few years, the last of William's family had left Georgetown. The force was strong with William Hamill, and it's still strong today with his great great grandson Mark. And that great White House well, you should visit it if you're ever driving down Interstate 70 past Georgetown, especially if you need an outhouse break. <laughs> Thanks for listening to It's About Time with me, Tony Robinson. It's About Time is brought to you by Ancestry, the leader in family history and consumer genomics. Thanks to them for all their help in putting this episode together. If you liked It's About Time, please make sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you subscribe, new episodes will download automatically. And if you let us know how much you like it, we'll bring you many more. Don't hesitate to tell a friend, tell Twitter, tell Facebook, tell that person you know who loves Star Wars. May the Force be with you.
1: It's About Time is sponsored by Ancestry. Discover your family history within the billions of records on the Ancestry website and take the Ancestry DNA test to learn more about who you are today with details like your ethnic makeup and relatives you never knew existed. Listeners of this podcast can enjoy free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. Just visit www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA. That's www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA for free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. So you can start your Ancestry DNA journey today. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid until the 24th of November, 2016.